Hello, and welcome to the Nutrition and Life Podcast. This is where we look at various nutrition and fitness-related topics through the lens of application. We want to give you practical takeaways so that you can create your healthiest, best self backed by knowledge. Now, on to the episode with your host, Coach Lisa. Hello and welcome back to the Nutrition and Life podcast. My name is Lisa, I'm your host, and today I'm going to continue this solo podcast episode series back to basics. I'm sort of continuing on from last week where we spoke about training. I want to talk about recovery, however, not just about recovery from training, recovery in general, stress management, and um, how we can basically downregulate our nervous system more consistently, more easily, more in real time when we are in stressful situations. Before I get into the topic, I do want to remind you, if you enjoy these podcasts, please give them a rating or, or a review, share them on your social media. It is the best way to help me grow. And aside from that, let's just dive right into the topic. So why do we even want to optimize our recovery? Why is that important? Well, first of all, so that we don't feel overwhelmed, so that we are sleeping better, so that weight loss is easier. But in regards to training, we also want to optimize our recovery so that, of course, we can train again sooner, but also that we are able to get more out of our training sessions. If you have ever train a little bit too hard or too much, you will notice that the next time or after a few weeks, after a few sessions, you are probably not as able able to push as hard um, or as much as you did previously. And if that persists, if that continues on, in the worst case, we get to a point where we are overtraining. However, in most cases, even if we feel overtrained, it's really more a matter of being or having functionally, non-functionally rather, overreached. So that means I'm going to kind of um, explain a little bit the difference between functional overreaching, non-functional overreaching, and overtraining. In many cases, also I should say beforehand though, that place where we get to a place of either overtraining or non-functional overreaching has, according to um, several research reviews, um, been kind of more traced back to a lack of sufficient energy um, availability. So in layman's terms, that just means you're not eating enough for the amount or intensity of activity that you're doing. So that is where I would definitely look, maybe not first, I would look at that at the same time as looking at, okay, am I just really doing a ridiculous amount of training, like two hours per day, six times per week? Or um, am I not sleeping enough, that kind of thing. So I would look at these three pointers probably first. Nonetheless, overtraining in and of itself really is a state where it's going to take us most likely several months to get out of it. It's kind of a place where we have taxed our um, our our entire system, really, but mostly our HPA axis um, to a place where it's going to be it's going to take some time to get back from that. In um in most cases though we're talking about, you know, if you if you can if you feel sort of recovered after a week or two or maybe a month um at most from no training or minimal training, then that then you likely were not overtrained, you just non-functionally overreached. So we want to essentially and and I spoke about this in the training episode too. We want to progressively overload in order to keep 
stressing our body in a healthy way. So our body is only going to adapt and um, progress in the way that we want if we give it either a new stimulus or if we give it a harder stimulus from time to time. So let's just say you're doing 60 kilos for your deadlift for eight reps. And at first it feels really hard. And then um, after a few times that you do that, it starts feel feeling easy. So A, you're not going to get any stronger if you just keep doing the same weight. And B, your body's going to think, okay, I, ha I have sufficient muscle to do that. I don't need to build any more. That means in order to build more muscle, which is what we want in order to get a toned shaped body, as we spoke about last time, um, in order to get more muscle, you need to increase the stimulus. So either increase the reps or increase the weight or sometimes also decreasing the rest sessions between, although this is debatable, but one of the two. So if you want to overreach, you want to keep pushing your body harder and harder, not necessarily saying you need to put on more weight every single session, but kind of in the sense of like over the course of three months, you want to have made some sort of progress on either the reps or sets or um, weight, uh, I guess, um, area. Now, if you push too hard or if you just have a really hard training session and you still train again the next day or you're not letting your body recover enough before jumping back in, you're starting... At a, at a suboptimal place. So you probably can't do those 60 kilos so easily. You might have to drop down to 55. And then maybe you're training too soon again um, the next time and you can still only do 55. So so you're getting to a place where you're you're trying you're trying to train too often, I guess you could say. Um, and it's not it's there's no I don't want to say there's no point in it, but it's just, it doesn't make as much sense as it would to take an extra rest day or maybe two or maybe longer and then do your training session and be able to lift 60 kilos again or even 62 and a half or 65 or something like that. So we want to functionally overreach. It is okay though if at some point you do get to a place where you are feeling like everything is just a lot and like um, you need an extra amount of rest and then we can simply implement more like of a deload week or or just a few deload days. So essentially extending the amount of rest days and that is totally normal. Some people will implement deload weeks um, routinely in a training program as much as sometimes it's as every four weeks or even every two weeks, depending on the intensity of your training program. If you are someone who recovers better and doesn't have as much of a fatigue, then it might only be every 12 or 16 weeks. Or, you know, sometimes we actually have um, natural deload weeks, so to speak, by going on vacation or by just ha having a really, really busy week where you only manage to go to the gym twice a week. And that kind of counts as a deload week also sometimes. So um, I don't want to just talk about training here. This is really more supposed to be of a stress management kind of episode. Um, but since most of us here are going to be strength training or endurance training, um, and both of which can lead to non-functional overreaching, or also both of which need to be managed as best as possible when it comes to recovery, um, the first place to look really shouldn't be massage guns and um, cold therapy and um, the latest supplement, it really should be sleep, training volume, 
rest and nutrition. Am I, would I maybe benefit from having two rest days per week as opposed to just one or maybe even three as opposed to two? Would I maybe benefit from just structuring my training differently instead of having a full body split, maybe going to a body part or upper lower split or push pull split sort of thing? There, There's a lot of um, variables here that could be pulled in order to optimize your, your training recovery so that, and this is the whole point here, so that you can put your full effort into your training basically every time until you get to a place where you're like, okay, now I'm, I need to just step back a little bit. It basically, it works like a wave. I wish I could do like a little bit of a graph here, but you want to bring it up, 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 up. Then you need to take like a little step back to let the stress come back down, but not all the way to where it was before. You know, you don't want to rest so long, a month or longer, unless you are truly overtrained, um, but you don't want to rest so long so that you have lost all your gains again, and then you need to start again. And then you need to like, that would just be a, a nonsensical sort of cycle either. So we want to start back up at the right kind of time. But yeah, once again, the amount of food that you eat, if you eat a sufficient amount of food, sufficient amount of protein and sufficient amount of carbs, that is another huge lever that we can pull here after adjusting the training um, volume. So Especially if you're more of a trained athlete and if you have a lot of other stressors going on, such as emotional stress, such as lack of sleep, etc., eating sufficient or eating at at least maintenance or close to maintenance or ideally in a small surplus becomes more and more important. If you are new to training, if you're new to a higher protein diet, you're probably going to get away with a calorie deficit um, while still making gains, while not feeling as fatigued um, and being able to diet at the same time uh, much more easily than someone who's advanced or even intermediate. So those those two levers should be really really looked at first and of course the sleep but I do realize that a lot of people um, cannot pull that much on the sleep lever you know it's not as easy to say okay well I'm just going to eat an extra uh, sleep an extra two hours as it might be okay I'm going to increase my calories by 200 or whatever it might be to get you to your actual calorie maintenance or to in, into a small surplus nonetheless Again, sleep is really, really important. Um, I thought about doing an extra sleep episode here, but I feel like, I don't want to say it's a beaten topic, especially um, not for me. Like it really can't be understated how much you, you can truly gain in terms of life quality and quantity by focusing on your sleep um, enough. And that's coming from someone who is struggling with sleep. Like I really don't have the easiest time uh, sleeping for eight hours, like I might, I, I do give myself the sleeping opportunity of eight hours every single day, or most days, let's say 95% of the time. But um, I often just wake up several times throughout the night or wake up very early. And then I lay there for like an hour until I'm like, well, okay, whatever, I'm just going to get up. Um, So, so it's not something that is, you know, fun for me. I know people that they just can close their eyes no matter what time of the day and they, they can fall asleep into a deep, very restful sleep. <laughs> so it's definitely not the case for me. And I'm saying this to encourage you to still make it a priority. Also wanting to say that even if you feel like, oh, I can buy just fine, can get by just fine with five or six hours of sleep. Most of the time, we don't know how much better we can feel until we feel better, if that makes sense. And um, according to 
the research, only a very, very, very small per percentage of the population, less than 1%, truly can buy without any repercussions with less lesser sleep than seven hours per night. So repercussions in the sense of you could perform so much better mentally, you could prevent potentially some um, diseases in the future by sleeping more than just five or six hours. So no fear mongering here, simply saying, please do make it a priority. It is the most underrated recovery drug and also mental health drug, like the impact of sleeping a sufficient amount of time and in a good quality sleep on your mental health and how you walk through your day, how much you enjoy your life. Um, that alone should be a really, really big reason for you to um, prioritize sleep. Nonetheless, let's talk about other things, um, the smaller, the minor things, which are still really worth looking into. Um, oftentimes, when it comes to recovery, uh, we first want to look at or we think of foam rolling, we think of massages, we think of acupuncture, perhaps, or even nowadays, more hot or cold therapy. But one of the most helpful things when it comes to actual stress management, whether that be um, through work or emotional stress or training, is actually your breath. And the great thing is you always have your breath with you. <laughs> you, you always breathe one way or another. Um, but you can optimize that to actually switch on your parasympathetic nervous system. So your downregulatory nervous system a lot quicker. So when, when we talk about wanting to recover from stress or from training, we actually mean the training stress in and of itself is great. Like stress, again, is, is not good or bad. Stress, uh, we need some sort of stressor in order to keep our body growing, keep our body healthy, keep our body fit. But the important part is that as soon as possible, we shift into a recovery mode after that. The last thing that we want is that we stay constantly for the rest of the day, switched on in this highly stressful state and delaying our recovery process. So ideally, you want to stress your body through training and then sort of like relax into your post-workout meal and go to work in a non-super stressful state and not be triggered by everything and everyone around you when you come back home after work. That is, you know, ideal scenario. But um, more realistically, um, we are all going to encounter some sort of stress throughout the day. Um, but before you leave the gym, I want to encourage you to just spend three to five minutes doing something down regulatory. And the research is also pretty clear that it doesn't matter that much what you do, whether that's stretching, whether that is, as long as not it's not like active stretching or super stressful stretching, stretching, whether it's foam rolling, whether you just literally lay there in like savasana in the corpse pose and you focus on your breath. It doesn't matter as long as it's something that helps you calm down, even something like switching on calming music even so it's just it's just not meant to be that you're doing your stretches and you look at your phone at the same time or you still have your heavy metal blare blasting in the background we want to consciously be like okay my workout is done now the next three to five minutes I'm going to switch into my parasympathetic nervous system or switch that on rather 
Um, and so something super helpful is to just simply try to exhale for longer than you inhale. More um, efficient yet would be to try something like these. Um, uh, I forgot the word. The physiological sigh. That's what it's termed. And um, so that means breathing in, breathing in again quickly, and then breathing out. So the two breaths in coming through your nose and the one long breath out, out of your mouth. But again, it doesn't even have to be this complicated. But what that would allow you to do is sort of forget about um, oh, what do I need to do next? And then after my training, we'll go here and I'm going to do that. And I shouldn't forget here and I need to call this person. So we kind of don't want that. We really want to make sure that you can still take these three to five minutes to actually downregulate and um and and just initiate or help your body realize okay this training is done this bout of stress is done the second part where i would highly encourage you to try and implement something like this of course you you know you can do that anytime something is upsetting at work or um you've had an argument with someone just retreat go to the bathroom take a few deep breaths sit in your car take a few deep breaths um but also that is something i've found was super helpful um and that's just at the end of the workday or even before you come home or it might be right before bed, whenever it suits you, um, just to initiate, hey, I'm done with actual work. I'm now into relaxation mode. So if you if you work at an office and you drive home, you could just do that. You know, you park up in the driveway and then you take three to five deep breaths and you're like, work is done. I am now home. This is relaxation. And you literally, like, you mentally leave everything, everything stressful at work and you go inside and shift into a different mode. Or if, like me, you work from home, I have um, cultivated a 20-minute meditation practice that I do at the end of the workday um, to help me sort of shift into my relaxation mode. Since most of the time, I don't even have the luxury of having, like, an office versus my living space. It's sort of all blended. And I do think that that has occurred for a lot of people throughout or during or because of the pandemic as well with work from home. So if we don't have our designated workspaces, it can sometimes be really difficult to switch off. Um, and I think that it can be very helpful. Or again, if you struggle to go to sleep, just doing something like that before you go to sleep, any kind of meditation, it could be a guided meditation, it could simply be breath work, it could simply um, be listening to music three to five minutes while laying on the ground. This is going to help a lot. And those things, just like meditation in general or other mindset practices, the thing with them is that they they don't seem to be helping, quote unquote, um, in the first instance, or it's always really hard to shift into them because we still have so much on our brain and our brain's like telling us, no, 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 you can't possibly take a break. This is gonna um, make us be late for this and that. But in truth, these, just like with meal prep and things like that, it, it, it's a, it's an investment in the present that will help you be more efficient and be more your best version of yourself later on. So even if you feel like there is not an immediate benefit from it, 
I just want to encourage you to try and um, make it a practice, even if it's like five out of seven days of the week, or even if it's just three times per week to start off with. Now, getting back to more of the sciencey, actual practical tool sort of stuff, hot and cold therapy. So um, we know by now that cold therapy does help with acute inflammation and can help recovery, but we also know that it impedes um, hypertrophy, so muscle growth, if it's done right after training. It's kind of It kind of works like omega-3 supplementation. It has anti-inflammatory effects. But we don't want to blunt the training stimulus by um, by fighting the inflammation so hard because with the inflammation, that's when we get the adaptation. Of course, only if we have the right amount of inflammation. So if you did really overtrain quite a lot one day and you're like, oh, I can hardly squid, squat down to go to the toilet after training, it's probably a good idea to then immediately go into a cold plunge for however long you can tolerate, you know, and do a couple of rounds of that or even just the one to blunt that immediate inflammation. A lot of um, football players, etc., and other sport, contact sports in particular, they use that in season when they just need to recover as quickly as possible, as much as possible for the next game. But you wouldn't want to use that when you are... Um, well, A, trying to maximize muscle mass, but B, also maybe in a pre-competition season or even in during the conditioning phase where you're like, no, I wanted a hard training stimulus. I wanted that person to to be kind of sore for a couple of days sort of thing. So hopefully that makes sense. Um, nonetheless, cold therapy does have quite a lot of benefits, even just for um, dopamine and, and cortisol regulation throughout the day. It can help with immune function. It can help with fat mobilization, oxi oxidization, um, improve hormonal health. And it, it does have a lot of, lot of benefits, but I personally would recommend um, practicing that away from training. So it could be that you do your cold therapy right in the morning and then you train around lunchtime or in the afternoon, for instance. Um, I would also avoid doing the cold therapy too late in the day because it can mess with your sleep um, by increasing cortisol essentially at a time where we don't want it to be high. Hot therapy like sauna um, or even infrared, which is technically not really a hot therapy, but let's just say sauna or steam baths and so on. Um, it's a little bit um, more out there when it comes to the benefits for training. It definitely has a lot of benefits for like hormonal health, for respiratory health, for just cardiovascular health and um, circulation. So it can help us transport um, waste products f f uh, away more, more quickly. Um, and also likewise, like many women or women on average, we tend to, after training, um, our blood tends to actually go more into our gut um, to, or like to our our core to help our body deal with, um, I guess the 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 stimulus and or to 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 help fight activate the parasympathetic nervous system. I'm not explaining it properly, but I hope you will get my point once I finish. Um, however, of course, to recover physically, muscularly, we do want the blood actually more in our peripheral um system. So we want it more in in our arms, in our limbs, and in, in our in our legs, and therefore. By going into a sauna, um, we could potentially distribute or get that blood to go 
um, into our um, uh, arms and legs, again, helping with with the blood flow through the muscle. So that could actually be something beneficial here. Um, in general, again, hot therapy, there's not that much research on in regards to that and hypertrophy. I don't believe that that would be blunting the training stimulus, at least not to my knowledge. If you have found any other research that says otherwise, please send it my way, but I haven't been able to to find anything there. Um, another point that I want to mention, so I guess I've I've touched on um, foam rolling, acupuncture, and massages just briefly. Um, and what the research there says is really that it's more about the mental component of just like literally laying there, having the physical touch, perhaps if it's a massage, um, which again, you know, even just from the touch, the oxytocin is being released. And it's even, it's nice to like, be touched we it, it would be debatable if a long hug and laying to some next to someone that you really like on the couch might not just be as as beneficial or nearly as beneficial as receiving a light massage a, a deep tissue massage where we're actually going into the muscle might be a little bit different but you know if you're just getting like a relaxation massage um yeah, it, it's debatable whether or how much that actually contributes to recovery other than simply being pleasant, being a pleasant sensation. Um, when it comes to acupuncture, um, it does seem to have some benefits, more so in the realm of, um, I guess, adjusting things or like if you are a little bit sore after you're training in this and that part and um, you can target specific specific blood flow into specific areas or specific nerve function, that kind of thing. So there is some research that does um, say that acupuncture can, if done properly, um, for um, properly, I'm saying that because there are also people that have a lot of negative experiences with things like Thai massages and acupuncture. Um, but, you know, if it's done properly in a controlled manner in, in a way where uh, also sort of similar to dry needling, um, that it might be beneficial for your recovery overall. And, of course, foam rolling, um, again, it also likely just loosens things up a little bit from time to time, can possibly be better used as, um, like, before your training to get you into better positionings, etc. Um, now, the next thing that I just wanted to talk talk about briefly and that seems like a no-brainer maybe it wouldn't have to be mentioned here but I still think it is important to mention and that is alcohol which um, people underestimate how much that can actually impede your recovery from training or how much that can make you feel uh, impaired the next day regardless of training or not simply in the sense of how you feel um, performance-wise, mentally, or just how you walk about your day. So my recommendation here is to just simply limit your alcohol, um, your regular alcohol intake in general. There's just nothing really healthful about alcohol other than it's fun <laughs> and delicious to, in, in, in some extent, to some extent. Um, but really, if you are really aware of of your overall physical health, um, it can't be overstated how much you are going to benefit in terms of longevity, in terms of preventing, potentially preventing cognitive decline and so on by limiting your alcohol intake um, to maybe one or two occasions per week and one or two drinks each time. And not to speak of how much that does actually impair 
um, our ability to lose weight. It doesn't make it impossible, uh, but it really, you know, it's kind of like driving with the handbrake on. If we are already struggling to lose weight as it is, if we are already having some hormonal issues perhaps. So yes, just a little note there before we get into supplements that can potentially help. Um, one last note before we get into those supplements is also I want to and I will talk about emotional eating and intuitive eating in the following episode, mostly because um, stress is one of the main reasons for um, why why people tend to overeat, why people go quote unquote off the rails with their diet, why people even experience things like bloating, um, skin rashes, um, digestive discomfort, or or even constipation, and so on. So I'm not going to um, talk about it today, but just know that there is a huge correlation between stress gut issues, um, and of course, the amount that we eat. So yes, we will talk more about that. Now, when it comes to supplements, and I have done a complete episode on supplements before, um, but there definitely are some supplements that are very, are definitely going to help us um, when it comes to assisting our recovery. Yes, you can get most of these in a natural way, but you are likely going to benefit quite a lot from additional supplementation in many areas. For example, magnesium is just simply hard to get the right amount um, through diet only. Yes, it is in things like spinach and things like almonds, etc. But really, who, number one, eats the sufficient amount of that? Number two, eats that on such a regular basis that it really helps. Um, and number three, if we're, we, I'm, I'm always talking about optimal rather than just what is the absolute minimum, absolute minimum that you need, right? We want to live optimally. And particularly if you're strength training, your requirements are a little bit higher than the average anyway. So you will most likely benefit from supplementing with three to 400 milligrams of some sort of magnesium in the evenings. It's just going to help you with nerve function. It's going to help you relax. Muscle function, of course, also and you can simply use a magnesium citrate or bisglycinate. Um, these tend to be the cheaper versions. Um, magnesium malate might be a little bit better for like muscular recovery. Magnesium threonate might be a little bit better for cognitive um, recovery and for sleep. But um, so if you find a blend, you know, that can be really great. But citrate can also help with digestion if, for example, that's something that you're struggling with. So um, there are several options out there and magnesium is reasonably affordable. The next one I'll mention is omega-3s. Omega-3s, um, as mentioned earlier, very um, helpful for fighting inflammation and not just muscular inflammation, but any other kind of inflammation. And we always, everyone, even if you're like, oh, I'm not sick though, I don't need this or I don't have any infections. Um, you're still, there's still going to be some inflammation in your body from even just maybe sun exposure or um, environmental toxins or whatever it is. Um, so you will benefit from increasing your omega-3 intake. If you really, you know, daily eat high quality fatty, fatty fish, um, you might be fine without. Um, but I believe when it comes to omega-3, again, that is actually one supplement where more can be better or usually often is better. Not saying eat 10 or 20 grams of omega-3 daily, 
but uh, you can certainly um, err on the side of caution here in my opinion. And now uh, another one which you're likely going to benefit from when it comes to stress management and that is vitamin D. It's not directly in the so, sort of stress management um, pathway if you want to call that, but it's directly uh, related to hormone production and um, vitamin D most people unless you work outside unless you live in the right latitude or is it longitude I always get those two mixed up um that most people are going to benefit from some sort of supplementation there nowadays anyway so anywhere uh, ideally you'd have some blood markers there to 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 actually orient yourself your dosage on but um, most people somewhere around about 5,000 international units um, which might seem high to some of you but um, it is actually a really it, on average it is a very good um, amount to be taken taken in the morning with food because it's a fat soluble vitamin and is definitely going to help other ones which you might benefit off or um wait I'm, I'm missing one which you will most certainly benefit off from um, and that's creatine creatine monohydrate don't waste your money on any other type of creatine which is a not tested as much as creatine monohydrate and b um, at best as good as mono, monohydrate but um, according to the current evidence not better than creatine monohydrate and most likely more expensive so just go with creatine monohydrate <laughs> um, important part here is to take it daily really daily whether you're training or not it doesn't really matter what time of the day um, sometimes it's just it, there might be a teeny teeny tiny benefit of taking it around your training particularly post um, training or at, during your training with some carbohydrates. Um, but I wouldn't overthink that. I would really just take it at a time where you can take it consistently day in, day out, whether you're training or not. The reason for that is that um, it's, it, it takes some time to saturate your muscle cells. And if you take days off, it's just not going to work the same way. It's also nothing where you're like, oh, this is, I'm going to take that pre-training or during training and it's boosting my, my performance right then and there. That's not how creatine works. Creatine helps shuffle um, energy back into the cells quicker yes um, and it does help with ATP production yes but again not in a sort of immediate way more in a long-term um, optimizing this pump kind of way and so that was the third one uh, that or fourth one, sorry, that more or less everyone should be taking others to help with stress management would be zinc. So looking into how much zinc are you actually consuming through food? Zinc is in things like um, like meat, chicken, those kinds of things, uh, fish as well. Um, but nonetheless, sometimes we don't get enough. So it, it can help also just with immune function. If you notice that you're getting sick quite often, that is a supplement I would totally add in. Um, for us women, also make sure you're looking at your calcium, that you are taking calcium in particular. I'm saying women in particular because we tend to be more prone to oste osteoporosis, particularly um, also pre-perimenopause and during menopause or post-menopause. Um, and oftentimes, even if you think, oh, I eat my yogurt daily, well, that usually doesn't supply you with enough calcium. So just something to check. You can check that in your your um, calorie tracker as well, such as MyFitnessPal. 
Um, and then some additional ones which are a little bit newer on the horizon. So ashwagandha has gained a lot of popularity for a good reason recently. Uh, it is an adaptogen or herbal plant which is meant to help with or simply helps the body adapt to any kind of stressor a little bit better. Uh, this can or should also not be taken before training, ideally after training or in the evening. can also help with sleep. Dosages from 500 milligrams onwards. You can double that or one and a half that even, uh, or I mean, sorry, up to like maybe 1,500 milligrams to see if it's like really helping you. But and maybe just start with a sensitive or a lower dose and see how you feel with it, I guess, or if you feel good with it. Um, there are other potential things um, that you could add on to that list here, such as um, Rhodiola rosea, uh, which is more meant to help with actually endurance capacity, but it can also, if you um, are training more like a bodybuilding style high rep kind of training program with less or little rest in between, um, then it, it might help on that front as well. Uh, so simply helping you deal with that stress or being able to perform better there. And there are other adaptogens like um, ginseng, which can help with the energy or, um, yeah. So there, there are several things, but I would say ashwagandha should be the main one to look into. You also don't need to worry about any EAAs or BCAAs to help with your recovery as long as you're consuming enough dietary protein. Um, that is kind of where I wanted to finish for today. Uh, I, I, I do want to again emphasize that I will be talking about stress in regards to stress eating, emotional eating, um, and that sort of stuff more in the coming um, solo episode. Um, so a quick sort of recap is that we want to generally be able to manage our stress as best as possible simply for enjoying our life more, um, sleeping better, for better hormone profile, for easier weight management, and also for enhanced muscle growth or simply a better um, body fat percentage. And the best way to do that is to well stress our body regular in a healthy dose, so the right kind of training. And uh, so if you feel like you're getting overtrained on a regular basis or like it's just getting too much, like your training um, performance is declining or not improving at all, then looking at maybe you're doing too much overall, maybe you're not taking enough rest days, maybe it's just too long of a program, um, maybe you need to implement some regular deload weeks, etc. But then the next point should be to look at how much food you're eating, are you eating enough, especially enough protein as well, and then are you sleeping enough, and then we can look into, okay, post-training, three to five minutes of breath work or some sort of down-regulatory thing, super, super important. On top of that, um, uh, we can implement things like regularly getting a massage or going to the sauna. Um, on top of that, we can, we should actually optimize our post-workout meal, making sure it's large enough, making sure you have carbs in there as well as protein. Um, and then we're going to look at your um, additional supplements such as omega-3s, magnesium, vitamin D, ashwagandha, potentially zinc, um, or anything else that might be helpful on that front. 
When it comes to stress at home and work, um, again, you can utilize your breath as much as often as you like um, and simply otherwise switching your mindset or practicing um, mindset techniques and stoicism in the sense of focusing on controlling what you can control, managing your reactions better um, and having perhaps a good mantra at hand that helps you deal with anything and anyone annoying which we all have to deal with from time to time. I hope that was helpful. Don't forget about the switch off routine or some sort of meditation, meditative practice at the end of your workday as well, which is going to be super helpful in the long run. And yes, thank you for listening. I hope you got some value out of this and have a beautiful rest of your day. Thank you for tuning in. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe, leave a review or share the episode on social. Very much appreciated. You can also follow us on Instagram at nutrition, coaching, and life, or head to our website, www.nutritioncoachingandlife.com, where we provide more valuable content. Have a wonderful day. Now go out and work on your best self.